greetings and welcome to Northern Static, the show where Canadian composers tell us about the state of their art. I'm bassist and composer Pete Johnston. On this show I talk to composers from a range of musical scenes to find out how they make their music, why it sounds the way it does, and most importantly, what they think we should be listening for when we hear it. In this episode I talk to composer and video game designer Shawhan Leem. Shawhan's music is primarily electronic, with the occasional acoustic instrument thrown in for colour. Over the past few years, his work in game design has started to merge with his musical project, I Am Robot and Proud, and much of our discussion revolved around the relationship between sound and vision. So sit tight for a wild ride with Shawhan Leem, coming up on Northern Static. The concept for the show is simple. I sit down and talk with composers about their creative processes, and they play some compositions of their choosing as examples of what they do. Think of it as a group listening session where the creator of the music is there to guide us through how and why they make the music they do. Shawhan Leem is an electronic music composer, digital wizard, and regarded by many across the greater Toronto area and in Japan as the pride of Mississauga, Ontario. I met Shawhan through another noble son of that shining suburb, composer and musicologist Jeremy Strawn, with whom I played in the band Muscox, which was featured back in episode 3 of the show. A further point of connection is my guest in episode 3, Mike Smith who plays in the live version of Shawhan's ongoing project, I Am Robot and Proud. As he works primarily in the digital domain, Shawhan has a very different approach to music making than myself and most of my previous guests. It was a real learning experience to listen to some of his music and hear how he puts it together. As we always do here at Northern Static, let's start things off with a bit of Shawhan's music to get you warmed up for our discussion. Here's a piece from the 2008 I Am Robot and Proud album, Uphill City, called 401 Circuit. Friends, joined today by Shawhan Leem, electronic music composer. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Hi, thanks for having me, Pete. All right. Um, I've been struck by your music for a long time, mostly because I have no clue how you make it, <laughs> how, you, how you put it together. It's uh, You're working primarily electronically, I think, which is yeah. something that I don't do. So um, it's always been mysterious to me how... How all that works, okay. how you put it together, yeah. what you're thinking about, uh, what technology you use. Um, and then I know that on the records, it's mostly you, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah, mostly it's it's me and then um, people come in and help out with um, different instruments and stuff. Uh, but usually, it's, yeah, most of most of the stuff is me and then... And then when you perform live, which I've seen, you, you, do, yeah. have, you do have people render yep. parts of it live. Mm-hmm. 
So I'd really like to get into that, what those... Um, how that process is. Yeah, <laughs> how, how that works. Yeah. Uh, but let's just start from the top. Um, when did you start composing and what, what got you into writing your own music? Um, well, I think, you know, it's a classic story, like teenager, suburban teenager board joins. You get bored in Mississauga? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and everyone that I was around, like, you know, from the age of 12 and then through high school were, were playing music. So I kind of joined in. We were and in the night in sort of the I guess that was the mid 90s when we were in high school. It was sort of like the um, suburban DIY punk hardcore scene. Um, and so so I spent high school going to shows and it was always just like you would walk into, you know, a basement of the united church or something and everybody there there was no one there over the age of like 16 and all the music every band was just a, another bunch of kids like you playing some songs they wrote the weekend before um and just that feeling of kind of we can make our own we can make our own thing mm -hmm. and so i think that's that that um was kind of like the entry point of just like get an instrument and try. So, I mean, I started playing. Were you playing, playing an instrument? I was playing bass originally. Um, so the first band I played in with, or one of the early bands I played in with Jer. Um, That'd be Jeremy, Jeremy Strong. Dr. Jeremy Strong. Doctor, <laughs> exactly. Um, was, yeah, kind of our high school band where he, he played guitar and I played bass and it was sort of like an angular instrumental band. And um, he, and so, yeah, that, so I guess like, Composing music has always been part of participating in the sort of music community, right? Like no one play, you, you sort of always, everyone's playing their own, you, you know. Yeah, so would you say that comes out of punk, punk rock ethos of writing yeah, your Yeah, well, tunes? no one knew how to play, only Jer knew how to play his instrument. <laughs> so no one knew how to play their instrument, so. Yeah, so you learn together, right? Like you literally are learning through sheer force of will. You don't know any, like, um, you know, all, all you know is what sounds good and what doesn't sound good to you and to your friends. And you just do it by brute force, just like our spending hours in a room, kind of like playing the same eight bars or whatever over and over until everyone is happy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and that, I mean, and that really ultimately is, hasn't really changed that much. Like maybe I know some more what things are called now, but um, that um, process of just like um, listening to or, you know, playing a, playing uh, short loops and slowly taking things in and out until they, they make you feel that thing or whatever, that's basically the same thing that I'm doing now. The old working out the parts. Yeah, exactly. The parts. That's a good <laughs> part. I like that part. What was that part that you were playing? Yeah, it's it's just that um, with a computer. The, the, the thing about that is as people get older, it's harder and harder to get that those people in a room that want us to do that for that amount. Because that the thing about that is it's very inefficient, right? It's not... Um, it takes a lot of everyone's time. And the, I guess the thing that I realized with the computer is that um, you can, I could do that alone, right? I could do mm -hmm. that without spent, without having to spend 
a bunch of people's uh, <clears throat> time. Yeah, it definitely gets harder as you get older to kind of jam it out. Yeah, I mean, I I still enjoy I still definitely enjoy that process, but I definitely see how you know it just takes time. It takes a lot of takes a lot of time, right? Mm. Um, so, at what point did you put down the bass and pick, um, up, pick up the mouse? <laughs> I had I guess like I was always like a computer uh, person, and um, back then there were. Back then, there were free so- like free softwares that were basically really simple sample sample players um, that you could get for free and that would run on you know whatever computer you had. Um, so that was and I and around that time like you know um, Warp Records was bit like Apex Twin and Autechre and all that stuff was big and I was like sixteen and I was like having that feeling of like you put in you put on a CD and you actually have no idea what where the sounds are what the sounds are you know there was no internet you couldn't just look it up you know you um so you'd be hearing these records and just being like what are what are these sounds you know what i mean what are so how did you find your way to those records out of, out of punk rock into the warp records um i think it was just um you know like coming into the city on weekends and going to record stores and, um, and you know, those were, those were, I feel like hard to miss records at that time. If you were, if you were around, if you were sort of that age and, um, looking for stuff. Um, so I think that me trying to, trying to figure out how that, how all that stuff was put together kind of led me like obviously, I was doing it totally wrong. Like now, I've, now, now I sort of have some idea of the, the equipment that was involved in the process. But back then, it was just like I was trying to, you know, right. emulate it with whatever you had. Yeah, exactly. Like just it, you know, just with whatever I had, trying to like recreate this thing, and it obviously came out super wrong and super inferior. But um, that process kind of like um, is what sort of got me into into the idea that you know a computer could be a thing so did you find an aesthetic connection between punk you had been playing your guitar based stuff and the fx twin for example Um, i mean i think there was yeah i mean i don't i don't know i mean i i guess i was doing both of those things at the same time for a long time you know so i in toronto i didn't really know anyone else who was doing um the kind of, you know, electronic music um, in Toronto at that time was very, like, dance-based, right? Like, rave-based or, or club-based. Um, and the music that, or the sort of music community that I was involved in was kind of in, um, yeah, like a DIY indie guitars and um, so like I would play music, um, I would be, I would do, do both of those things at once, like are at the same time, you know, growing up and, and kind of basically kept doing that, you know, as, as I got into my twenties, I was still playing in bands and also doing my electronic, you know, mm. thing. But did you feel that there's something similar about the ethos or they're just two 
two things you happen to be exposed uh, to at the same time? I mean, I, I think that there is definitely, um, uh, there's, there's a certain similarity in the sense of that they were genres, they were forms of music that were sort of invented by the people that were, I guess it's sort of like that thing I was saying, it's like they, people were inventing their own music, you know what I mean, or mm -hmm. their own um, kind of sound, and I, I guess I, maybe that would be something that they, they have in common, but, of, of, but of, in terms of process and all that stuff, they, you know, pretty, pretty different, mm -hmm. um, but I guess just the idea that there's no rules other than what sounds good to you. Right. Um, so what were some other artists that you were, that you were tuning into, um, because clearly you, I haven't seen you play any punk rock recently, so uh, you yeah. have shifted pretty, pretty <laughs> fully onto the electronic side of things. What, what were some early, um, early yeah. models? I, th I think, I think that, um, yeah, I think Apex Twin and Autechre, I think for sure are. It would be hard for me to say that that's not a huge. I mean, I think that's huge for anyone who's who was listening to electronic music at that time for sure, and and sort of going and later on learning more about their process, I can see how um, it was a lot about trying to break things, you know, like a lot about trying to find um, the limit of some technology or try to use some technology in some way that it wasn't intended, you know, um, which a lot of electronic music kind of comes from, you know, like that. Sure, yeah, just that, push, pushing at the Yeah, like that capacity. That, 303 baseline machine was probably invented to, I don't know, like play, um, play, play, play some kind of like baseline that you play other instruments over, right? Like right. Kind of like a cocktail a, bar. Yeah. Um, and people found out that you could turn this knob in a certain way and it sounded like it was screaming or something, right? Mm -hmm. And then the genre of music comes from that, you know? Um, well, were you connected to the, like you sort of seemed to contrast a little earlier what, you were interested in versus the the dance and club culture. Like, was were you thinking about the that music as it relates to dance culture? Yeah, I guess that I guess that there there there's a there was like a more there there were there was sort of like a cerebral element to it that was like we're gonna um, there's that there's that um, Attacker record. Um, called Anti, which is like, a, do you know this record? It's no. basically, there was some some law in the, I'm going to get this wrong, so, but I'm going to get the details wrong, but basically there was a law in the, in the UK that was like meant to sort of like... Um, oh yeah, it's 1989, from, right? Like the, the, yeah, the this sort rave, of like but... rave um, problem. Mm -hmm. And so they, they tried to, um, the... the the law like restricted certain types of repetition in music or something like that. Um, and so Autechre made this record, which was like um, a record where the beat or the time signature changes every bar or something. You know what I mean? Um, and that and that kind of like, um, you know, back then in order to do that on a computer, like you kind of had to break it, right? Like they're they're not designed Right. to do that right like they're designed with certain parameters and especially back then like now 
things are a little bit more open and the tools are a little bit easier to... Um, but it's still hard to do something that's not yeah. in like a 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. do some... You kind of have to... You get to do some surgery. Yeah, to, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. imagine trying to do that in like 1991 or whenever mm-hmm. it was. Um, and so just that idea of... I, I think that was always interesting to me, like that idea that you sort of like... The way that you interact, interact with the technology can sort of inform the musical output, you know what I mean? In, in a way that you might not have necessarily... Um, I mean, the people that designed it, that designed that software in the first place, didn't imagine, and you probably didn't think, didn't imagine that it came, it came through that experimentation, mm-hmm. right? That's well, pretty punk rock ethos. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think there is a connection, but I guess I've just never thought of it. <laughs> I've never thought of it explicitly, but I do think there is, like, yeah, a connection there. Yeah. So, like, your music now is is certainly certainly dance to it but is is that the kind of shows or the kind of audience you're going you're going for um i yeah i've never really like there are times when i find myself in that situation and i never really um feel like it, it works um i and i think partly that's why the audiovisual thing has been kind of like a, a revelation for me because it's like it sort of answered the question to me of like what do people do when they come see you, when they come to the right. show. So this is your little bit of background. You're you're integrating some, some yeah. images. Yeah, so into... slowly, like I started doing it probably about in a very primitive way about 10 years ago, but it's it's been slowly, I've been slowly becoming better at, at it and, and sort of doing um, where our shows will have um, a sort of one-to-one audiovisual element where the where the musicians are um, basically controlling the projections, their instruments kind of become like joysticks or something, and and everything that happens on the screen is kind of a reaction to something that you just like that the live musicians are doing. So whether that's myself, like it started off as just my um, just myself, but like in the last couple of years, we you know or the last year we did. Um, Robin Buckley, who plays drums, had, you know, triggers on his drums. And then um, Mike Smith, who um, has played various things, but most recently um, synthesizers. So we're all sending MIDI. And so I have all this data, basically, right, of what is happening. And then um, it's interpreted as as visual. So before before we had that visuals, or before we, we had that element, there was always this sort of I, I didn't I wouldn't really know the answer to that quite like it wasn't dance music didn't really make sense um, when I you know was invi- booked to play like a dance scenario <laughs> <laughs> um, you mean a dance <laughs> yeah yeah um, uh, and it it maybe wasn't it so now I, I think that like as a um, yeah I don't I don't really know what what it is now but I think it makes sense now now I I feel like I, I kind of get <laughs> what I'm doing right so is that come out of thinking what's the audience supposed to do with this is it so thinking about the audience in that way I I don't I don't think I think it's just something that I was always interested in doing and so like in the pat in the I started meeting collaborating with 
um, other musicians that were also involved in other, in sort of like visual aspects um, and also getting involved in like the game world, which is, you know, other, you know, people using technology to kind of do stuff. Um, and it sort of became, um, I mean, I think when I initially started doing it, no, no one really, <laughs> it wasn't very good. Right. So it took a while for me to get to the point where I felt like it was, um, something that was actually adding to the show. And before that, it really was just like my own stubborn, like my own just like interest in it. Like I just really like the idea of being able to see um, the relationships between, I think like when, when you listen to music as, let's say as a musician and you, you understand how all the musical elements are working together maybe, or you can sort of see like, oh, this person is playing this and this other person is playing that and you're, you can, sort of see how they those interact with each other and especially if you're watching a live band because um there you can you can sort of physically see right like you know what's going on whereas like when you watch electronic music a lot of times you don't have that they, can, they could be checking their email for a week. yeah exactly and yeah as someone who played electronic music in the 90s i heard that all the time right um so i think that part of it was that yeah like i I think that it makes it it makes it easier to understand. I mean, but it just makes it better, like when you can <laughs> see it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I mean, I guess the interesting thing is when you're watching a live band, there's a real one-to-one -one relationship. Like somebody moves this way, this sound yeah. happens, and that's for a lot of people who maybe struggle with watching electronic music, like missing that. Yeah. But even seeing what you're doing, you don't see a one-to-one -one relationship around. You do this, and then this happens. But you, you can tell that the musicians are doing something that is making it happen. Right. Although right. you can't tell the specific movement. Right. Right. You know, generally, yeah. watching it, that okay, this the the visuals are part of that. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. and yeah. Then we were talking earlier about how you've basically had to design software to figure out a way to make this happen because it's not something you can buy off the shelf. Yeah, exactly. So that is sort of like another, I guess, interest of mine is sort of like people are um, people creating their own, their own tools, you know, and then making work with the tools that they create. And I think now with computers and stuff, it's, it's starting to become a lot more open, like those opportunities are, are there. Um, but does that feel onerous at all? Like, if you want to do this, you got to make the thing yourself. It's definitely, it's definitely um, a lot more, a lot of work that I wouldn't, that I guess has nothing to do with writing the music, right? It's, it's, um, it's a basically a completely separate practice, um, but it, um, they feed into each other. I think, like the, the, um, like setting up, setting up. A, a band rehearsal where we have the projections going. So we obviously rehearse, like let's say we're rehearsing the songs, we'll we'll do them um, the way you would normally like do, just um, learning parts as a band. But once we started rehearsing with the projector and with all the um, visual stuff hooked up, other stuff starts happening, 
right? In the rehearsal, because all of a sudden there's this thing that you're all sort of playing off of in, in this other way that you're kind of like interacting with each other and affecting each other. And you're sort of thinking about things in a different way. Like, um, you know, you're thinking like, I need to, I need to create this like negative space so that this other thing can have space to happen. Right. And you might think that, um, from a musical point of view, but then there's also this like this visual thing that's sort of guiding your, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's guiding your decision-making in real time. So I've, so I think when, when I realized that like the visuals um, were an, were a way to a perspective into thinking about what, what notes to play or like how the music, what the music is, is where I realized that I was kind of like, that's a really interesting um, yeah, so interaction, right? It's pretty like, tightly integrated then. Yeah, and it's sort of like, it gives us a fresh, you know, a fresh way to think about what we're, mm -hmm. what we're doing. So it sounds like to me what you're saying is that the, it's not that the music is supporting the visuals or vice versa, that there's yeah. actual interaction. Yeah, I think that that's ultimately my, my goal is that it becomes one one process you know so it's so not like a silent film or something where the where the yeah. music very often is exactly. is depicting or supporting the action on screen yeah like i think that what i'm trying to do is get towards a thing where it's i'm this idea of like an audiovisual instrument right where it's like there's one instrument where that's where both of these things are kind of happening um and the software is sort of part of that it's like the visual side of that um and the reason that it has to be or i mean there are things that exist kind of that allow people to make visuals obviously um other software you know to make visuals but i think that um if you make it yourself you can make it you can cater it to how you make music right or like how you prefer to work um so, so that is kind of like the, um, I guess the reason that I, that I decided to do that. And I guess like it's, um, it's a challenge, um, as well. You know, mm -hmm. It's a technical challenge. So. You like those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, um, maybe you can take us through a little bit about your process, how you, how you do it. As I said, it's, um. I don't use this technology myself or anything close yeah. to it, so I don't, I don't. I don't even know how, really, the basics of how how you get going on things. So obviously, you're using specific production tools in yeah. your work, but also it's just a different process than sitting down with notation or or even starting at a starting at an instrument, say. Yeah, I think that you know most um, electronic music is starts with like some kind of grid, you know, <laughs> some kind of grid represented on it, um, either in a in a um, in a box or like like a sequencer or on a computer, um, and so I've always had so basically like this software that I used when I was a teenager is called like a tracker software. It's like it's kind of like based on the way that like say a Nintendo would have played music. So like the Nintendo, um, the original Nintendo didn't have obviously the, any ability to. Um, like play a sound, like a digital sound file the way we know them now, right? Mm -hmm. So the 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 NES has 
basically a small synthesizer with four voices. There's like, I can't remember what they are, but there's like a noise channel, a sine wave channel, and two triangles or something like that. Um, and to write music for it, you would basically have a four track grid that you would basically could send like sort of like a MIDI sequencer um, instructions to the chip, right? Right. So you've got this synthesizer that everyone is using, like the same, everyone who makes, who, who wrote music for like a Nintendo had the same synthesizer basically, right? That's in the box. And they have this four track way of, of, of interacting with that um, synthesizer. And the software that um, I'm using now is basically kind of, is, is, is very similar to that. Mm. Um, it, it it comes from the same um, lineage. It's called Reno. The the one I use is called Renoise, but there's a few different sort of flavors of it. Yeah, it's, I was my I have a nine year old nephew, and uh, mm -hmm. he got a little Nintendo box mm -hmm. um, of all the classic games. Right, yeah, which yeah. is pretty fun because I can play with him. But any modern video game, forget it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what I noticed is like, oh yeah, like the snare drum sound and Mario or whatever is just a burst of white noise. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. A, it had no ability to play any, yeah, like digital, like sound, digital, I guess, like sound file the way that we know. Yeah, it, right? just like a little bit of static gives yeah. you gives you your your snare totally. drum or whatever, and like no ability to play chords, right? Right. So like I that thought of that that fast arpeggiated. There's this like sound that you associate with video games, or just just like this super fast yeah. arpeggio, right? This is one note at a time. Yeah, but that's because you can't play chords. So in order to sort of like play the rhythm track, you're sort of like, um, right. you're playing all the individual notes of the chords, but just really fast. So it sounds like, you know, it sort of tricks your brain into hearing the chord, you know? Um, and that's like kind of like what we were talking about, just like the limitation is what made it, what forced them to come right. up with essentially this new style or this new approach or this new process, right? So what is the, if the software you're using now is, tracker version like what what is the software you're using and how does it yeah so the work? the software i use is, is um is called renoise and it's basically kind of just like a midi sequencer um a sampler and a sequencer so you record sounds into it and then it it can control it controls your whatever external equipment synths and stuff and then it sends midi to um the visual system at the same time. So as I'm writing music, um, I'm kind of, I have a, this sort of visual feedback that I'm also sort of responding to. Um, but then how do you, what, what sounds do you put into it? You said you can input sounds into yeah, it. Yeah, like so I, when I first start, so I think that this is another like interesting thing about like limit, so about limitations, like when I first, I didn't have any um, synthesizers, you know, synthesizers were, are, were and are expensive. Um, but online, like on these like bulletin boards and like these weird places, like I think this is sort of pre-internet, but you would find guys who had just recorded like a single shot, like a single shot, like a Minimoog sample or something, right? Or like a, a little folder with like 24 single shot, um, single shot samples of just like hitting one note right and then in this sampler in this sampler i mean it, it there was no there's no kind of like time stretching or anything it would just you know you play it faster and you get a higher note right mm -hmm. 
and you play it slower. So you, there's all these weird artifacts that happen when you're speeding sounds up and slowing them down, just really just in order to get the notes that you want. But it sort of becomes this aesthetic because um, it's sort of like speeding things up in an unnatural way. They don't they stop sounding like what they were originally. Um, so that has that. Um, so there's a lot of like, um, I so I replicate that process a lot. Where like now I I do have some like keyboards and synthesizers and stuff, but like I generally use it as sort of raw sample material, and then um, treat them as if they're just kind of like samples that I found, you know. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of how I build. That's kind of how I build like the. Um, the beginning parts and then you know so do you spend some time noodling on the synth or whatever to come up with with sounds yeah or like it might like, does it start i guess what i'm asking does it start with sound like you find a sound like okay i'm going to build a piece out of this yeah yeah i think that it's it's i think it starts with um yeah finding a, a sound that has some kind of whatever some kind of resonance to you or some kind of makes you feel something for whatever reason um and then trying to piece together all the things around it. And then, I mean, later on, I started getting into, you know, you know actually playing instruments and having, you know, um, I play um, or, or bringing people in to whatever. Um, Jared did a bunch of woodwind arrangements on some of my earlier records. Um, I play guitar and piano and stuff on them as well. But I think that the thing that makes them sound like they are is that I start in that very, like, chopped up, sample world where it's actually impossible for something to sound like an instrument if you know <laughs> what i mean like it's actually impossible for me at that stage to make a piano part that sounds like a piano playing for real and i think that <laughs> helps like that is that because you'd have you have the time stretch it or you have to yeah it's just not like if you want if you want to replicate you know a piano on a computer that's you're talking about like gigabytes of sa you know they've sampled every key at every different pressure level and it's like this huge thing right mm -hmm. it's like this huge production to get it to sound um, um, like real and even then yeah and even then it's you're not even then you're still kind of like in the holodeck kind of right like like if the computer if a computer uh, tried to mimic uh, a piano um, but I think starting with the because I start in a place where it's it's just it's just so removed from things that sound real, that kind of like um, is where um, the ideas or that's kind of like why my music sounds like it does. I yeah, guess. like you're not trying to replicate a. Yeah, or I might I might be, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. It's not that. That's what I mean. It's like not like it's a choice. Like it's not like I'm like I don't want to sound like an instrument. You know, there are times where I, I have wanted to, but I just, it's just like you can't in that situation. And I, and I didn't really know what logic, what, like, what sort of like more modern um, computer music um, or like software for doing music on computers was like until like the past sort of relatively recently. Right. Like actually recording stuff as audio, like putting a microphone. Yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't really. Um, so I, so even even the even if I had wanted like something to sound like a 
real instrument. Like I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have been able to. And I, and I think that that, um, in retrospect, that probably informed a lot of <laughs> kind of uh, my, how I thought about it, you know, mm -hmm. because I think it forces you to go somewhere else, right? Like you're just, but like, then you still did bring in people to play live instruments on top. Yeah, and 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 then but it is that only this, after you had a yeah, and then it becomes this contrast, right? Then it becomes mm -hmm. like you're hearing the things, the real things are sounding realer because they're on top of this totally artificial sounding thing, right? Like right. The, the human moments sound more human, and the and the electronic things sound more electronic, you know. Be, right. When you're sort of putting them, you know, by contrast, you know, or whatever. Right, but you still, um, it's, just, it's, it's just an interesting process to me where you're doing lots of stuff by yourself, but there's still an element of collaboration. I've all, in yeah. It. Like, like, how do you? I think to me, like, mu that? music is, is one of the reasons for doing it is like, it's a social thing. Like, it's like, I. You mean it's not for the money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I grew, yeah, like, I liked, or I, I look forward to rehearsing, like, band practice or whatever, right? Like I was that guy. So like I, um, I like that process. I, to me, if I could write music with people all the time, I, I think I would. Um, it's more just that it does not super practical. Um, and I like, so as soon as I could, like I, I, I do play shows um, by myself. Um, with like me and a computer and some equipment, but as soon as it sort of became possible to bring other people, I did it because like economically possible. Or yeah, like possible? yeah, economic. Sorry, yeah, like economic. Like as soon as like there's someone who's willing to bring three people, and like to me, like to me that um, as soon as I could do that, I was trying to figure out ways to like bring people into my pro into that that alone process that you know because for me it's it's just a lot more fun you know to have and and that's how I also how I learn like I I feel like I whatever whatever I know it's because like of the other smarter people that I've played music with basically right of just like being always being the person that knows the least in the room and just like absorbing <laughs> what's going on mm -hmm. right and when you're alone you don't really get to do you don't really get that mm -hmm. you know so I love that experience like I love putting together I love the process of rehearsing and putting together the live show because it's you know like a lot of like I learn a lot more about my own <laughs> right stuff through that process right? what kinds of things um like could you sum up I guess or or articulate what what kind of changes when your pieces might go through when you're so you record it and say it's just you or mostly you and then yeah. Okay, we're gonna get ready to play a show. What what kind of things might might change in it? Um, I think it's it's well, obviously, yeah. So when when I'm when when I'm doing the um, the alone part of the process, it's really kind of like a a very open sort of stream of not stream of conscience, but like you have a computer, anything is anything is possible. Any number of tracks, any type of approach is kind of like feasible um when you're dealing with um we we did a um, tour in the summer where there's three of us mike was playing 
um, since I was playing um, synths and, and um, like the computer sequencing stuff, Robin was playing drums. And so there's three of us and we just, and we kind of like set this challenge for ourselves that there weren't, wouldn't be um, backing tracks. So like a lot of times we're kind of like, when you see electron, you know, the computer's doing some percentage of the work and there's a spectrum there that goes from like 100% where the computer is actually doing everything and the person on stage is kind of like not really doing much. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to, we, we, we had sort of been building ourselves up to the point where like we thought, okay, we actually can do, we can actually reproduce this music um, as a, mm, a, as, as a, as a three-piece, right? Mm. Um, and it, But it meant sort of like that I had to um, think about this, the music in a way that I really hadn't before in, you know, in terms of just like what are, what, I mean, it's probably really, right, how, what parts could yeah, map onto which yeah, person. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what are the, what are the parts that matter? Right. Like I never mm. really think about that. You don't, I don't think about that stuff when I'm on a computer and I can, and, um, every part is, every sacred. part, can, yeah, every part is, is, is important. Right. Mm. Like this, uh, you know, this sample of like rain falling that you can barely hear is is a super important part of the atmosphere or whatever, right? But it's like, okay, do I want to use up someone's one of someone's hands to be playing that when you only have six hands to go around? You know, like um, so it sort of like becomes about um, efficiency hmm. and about and, and some editing, I guess. Yeah, and like those guys did a lot of um, sort of pretty. Um, not complicated, but just sort of like not <laughs> not natural feeling, like sample sure. playing work to try and like dexterous. Yeah, dexterous. That's the yeah. That's what I was going for. Um, to try and sort of like um, recreate what was happening um, because we, you know, some of the stuff we had, some of the stuff we had played, like they were actually parts that had been played on a whatever on a keyboard but some of the parts were programmed in or were like combination of three different layers that were Hmm. three three different layers that were all programmed at different times that sort of sound like one part and then like how do you translate that to a person to you know yeah so is this is this it sounds like um if i'm hearing a pretty separate process like you you do it the way you want to do it following your your ears or whatever to make the record and then and then after that because I know, you know, I'm a big Rush fan from way back. And mm-hmm. I know that's a bit, you know, a big part of what they were thinking about in the 80s is like all this complicated stuff happening, but being very committed to we have to do all this live. And so yeah. if we can't really do it live, then it's not going to go on the record. But then it's like you got Getty Lee using all, all four limbs to, <laughs> to do all this. Yeah. Like to do all the stuff because they really wanted yeah. the concert to sound like the record. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not a like I. To me, it's like the I I think of it more like I want the record to be the raw material, like the starting point from which the live show that's that's can, can sort of evolve from. Sure, you know, and you get the visuals on top of that. Yeah, and so like there was because because of the um, we had this visual element and like and um, there we we had sort of. We, we had been incorporating like I guess like improvised sections like in in the in the in the sets in the past but like 
we sort of realized that when, once we started doing this audiovisual thing that the the improvised parts were the parts where the this connection was the strongest because like when something's sort of happening on a beat and it's sort of like your your mind is sort of predicting the next beat and like the visual is sort of ticking along in time it just kind of feels like this one um it feels like we could just be playing along with a visual or vice versa right but once everything breaks down and sort of like the time disappears and things start happening in odd at odd at odd moments but the visual is still like reacting um that's where you can really see um that's where it it, it makes it um that connection really strong and so that kind of opened up a lot of um space in the set to do like stuff that improvised um things where we and, and the other thing is because we're playing it live i mean because we're there's no backing track that we're playing to we're not it's not like we're stuck to any kind of arrangement you know like robin basically has a sample pad of the raw materials of the song and can sort of like remix it in right. real time right mm. and then we can react to it in real time as well um and so we there there was a lot we did have to do a lot of work in terms of like there's ton, like a lot of mapping right there are like there's a lot of midi things that are mapped and instruments that are like changing as the song goes right like because at this part of the song you need a different whatever um so there's a lot of like technical kind of like um like plumbing <laughs> that has to happen but in the end i think it also opened up this thing that where where we basically had these instruments that had all the elements of the song that people hear on the record so we can play the song that they hear on the record but then we can use that same those same instruments to play an improvised section that has you can sort of hear elements right you mm -hmm. can sort of hear like right. oh, like it sounds like this song yeah but it's it's being sort of like flipped right in mm -hmm. real time and it's sort of like something fun that each night we can kind of like as as we get more comfortable we can go to another place and kind of like see how far we can becomes like a fun thing about how how far can you take it you know what i mean sure well maybe now's a good time to listen to something oh yeah sure we can hear, we can hear a little uh, bit of what, what we're uh, what you're talking about uh, you brought a couple of pieces yeah let's uh listen to um lucky static which is the um it's from my my cd from last year all right lucky static yeah.
All right, that was Lucky Static from the 2019 record. It's actually 2018, the end of 2018. Yeah. 2018, I'm Robot and Proud, and the record's called? Lucky Static. Lucky Static, yeah. title track. Yes, that's right. So uh, what can you tell us about that? Um, how you put that together? What's, what's happening on that track? Um, well, I think that that, so I think for this record, I knew that I was going to be doing a live band version. Hmm. So that song kind of had elements of that that I knew would translate. Like I knew, I knew what Mike was going to be like in my head. I'm like, I know Mike's going to be doing this. I know Rob, you know what I mean? And so I tried to, um, think of it in terms of something that would translate well in a, in a, with a live drum set and in a live situation. Um, and then obviously it has like the electronic kind of elements or whatever it has like, um, but it's, um, it's definitely like that that song is a sort of a definitely a pro product of me bringing other people into 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 what I'm doing and like having that inform so thinking about a live product a live, yeah. a live version yeah like and, and sort of thinking about yeah something that will translate into human beings <laughs> right doing it you know what about the materials what what how how did you generate the the sounds, but also the the form, the melodies, the harmony. There's a great bass line in there with a nice surprising note that comes up every now and then. I surprising to me anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know that I have, <laughs> I have language to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it really is just a matter of like doing things until they sound like something. Um, but I you start with the tempo. I get, yeah, I guess so. I guess like I guess like the thing is like on a on a computer everything is set, right? Like so, a tempo yeah, is set. set tempo you have to start. set it. Um, and like I think that rhythmic things are always um, are are very common. So like like a particular sound um, or a like rhythmic idea, you know, I, I guess is where that's usually kind of like the kernel around which then I'll start building, you know, stuff around it. And I think for me, it's just like, um, it's kind of like playing with Lego. It's just like, I just sit in front of the Lego every day <laughs> and just start putting stuff together. And 5% of it is worth other people listening to, but, and most, most of it just ends up in a folder that no one ever hears. You know, it's really... But what, what about the... So you said if you start with the rhythmic kernel, basically, like what... I don't know if you can pinpoint what the rhythmic kernel in that piece would have been, but w what do you mean by that? Like a, a one or two bar loop or a, a little motive or... Yeah, I think I think it's it's generally just like... Um, and, and maybe this is maybe this is why, like, I think the visual thing has connected with me so well is that, like... I think I do sort of think of it in sort of shapes, right? Like I think of it in terms of like geometry, whatever. Well, that like, makes sense if you're looking at it like a grid on the, yeah, on the right? screen. So, so much of it is shape. Yeah. So there's I a visual element to it. Yeah. So I, I think I'm thinking of it in terms of um, in terms of um, overlapping geometry and kind of like thinking of 
this number on top of that number or whatever. Um, so I don't know how to answer that. Well, I mean, there's nothing and then there's something, right? So, yeah, you know, so someone who's... Where does the something come from? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, lots of people have um, particular formulas or some even some math or just some basic stuff tonality whatever to get to get started you know 12 tone yeah some some kind of not everybody obviously yeah so some, some kind of some kind of system and 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 your music is so coherent um that it uh it you suggests know, that i thought about some kind of logic or something or maybe maybe yeah. that you have a that you have a way to to actually put it together and make it happen yeah, and I, I mean, I guess with this particular record, like the last one that I did, I, I was already thinking in terms of um, audiovisual stuff. And so there mm. a lot of, so I was posting, I was doing these like short, like 30, 45 second audiovisual loops, posting and posting them on like social media for, for like a year as I was making the record. And really thinking about them in terms of not really as, not necessarily as songs, but um, just as, um, yeah, like audiovisual little snippets, micro content, whatever. I don't know, whatever. Micro content. <laughs> These little things. Um, and in terms of, but that doing, th doing, doing, and, and a lot of that stuff actually ended up be becoming, you know, the starting points of the various uh, the songs on the record. Um, so I think that in, in, in this particular case, I was really thinking about like, um, like, for example, in that song, like it kind of starts off sounding, it's, it starts off with electronic noises that kind of sound like the batteries are all running out of a bunch of toys or something, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and, 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 and rhythmically there's, it's not in any sort of like, it's not on any kind of, in, in, in any, any kind of grid or whatever. And so visually when you're watching that, it, it also has that feeling of like things are not locked in. And then at a certain point, at a certain point, the machinery, whatever, the power comes on and the, you know what I mean? And I think that because I was because I was sort of like watching as I was uh, sort of like writing the music, I was like watching the visuals. I think that like those kinds of ideas informed how I thought about it, right? So like hmm. there's like this, you know, there's a song that on the record that has some some chord pattern and then like a melody on top, right? And so when I when I wrote that, I was actually writing it to this visual, which was um, kind of like a, a platform that a platform that sort of like changes its position position depending on what chord you're playing, and these um, kind of like raindrops that are falling, and depending on what note you're hitting, that's that's determining where you know along a it's determining sort of the position of where these raindrops are falling. And depending on what chord you're playing, that's determining like where this physical platform is moving. Right. Hmm. And so by line, 
there are certain times where like lining it up um, creates like a really interesting pattern, visual pattern and musical pattern. And so like that process kind of like, you know, made, I don't want to say like it made decisions for me, but it sort of like gave me clues about. For sure. Right. You set up a process and let it. Yeah. And then sort of let it and let it sort of happen and sort of react to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Kind of as if kind of like you might in a, in a band situation, like where there's music, there's something happening and you react to it. Right. Like that's kind of like maybe what I'm (laughs) subconsciously trying to recreate is this like loop, you know, where is there some in the visuals, is there some randomness to it? Not and I guess random is a complicated word. Like it's not random, but you're not necessarily able to predict what's going to happen and you're responding to it. Um, sometimes. So it can be random and it can be sort of, um, predictable. So like you can introduce something like physics, which mean, which means like now all of a sudden things are reacting to this like imaginary gravity or like an imaginary force that's pushing things are bouncing off each other. And then those things are kind of unpredictable, right? Like the, the, um, the initial sort of parameters that you that you introduce by playing the notes are set, but how they react to each other once they're on the screen can be determined by some physical rules or, mm. um, and that becomes like now, now the now the visual system is producing something for you to react to, right? Right. Um, yeah, well, maybe uh, maybe we can hear another one. Yeah. You brought another tune along. Yeah, um, it's called Imaginary Guys. It's it's from the same it's from the same record. From the new record. From the new record. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most recent record. The most recent record. Yeah. Right. Imaginary gadgets. Yeah. All right.
right, so imaginary gadgets. That was a bit more of a slightly more spacious, kind of more ambient kind of sound than the than the previous piece. Um, is there something different about that piece, or how would you compare the oh, two? Oh yeah, I think the reason that I or what's sort of interesting about that um, thing is that the there's this intro that sounds like a computer sort of randomly choosing samples. <laughs> and that's, in fact, what is happening there. <laughs> so, like, I wrote a program that, like, loads in, like, hundreds of these, like, little snippets that I have of, you know, that I've recorded of, over the years of various... Um, various um, things and um, just hit a button and randomly pulling from these kind of like, you know, they're, they're all sounds that I had, but I just wanted them to be combined in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have consciously chosen. So it was kind of like this way of just saying like shuffle, you know, and give me another set of sounds that I can like play around with. So this is kind of like this randomized or this drum machine where all the sounds are randomized. So you program the rhythms a bit, like or when the sounds would start? Well, like the sounds themselves are all, yeah, like the sounds themselves are all, I don't know what they're going to be when I turn on the thing, basically, right? Right. And so basically based on what they are, some might be um, single drum hits, some might be like a couple notes, some might be a chord, some might be, you know, they, they're probably in different keys. They're probably not, you know what I mean? But it kind of becomes this puzzle then, right? Like it's sort of like, I don't know if you watch MasterChef, but like... <laughs> The mystery box challenge. <laughs> it's like you no. open up this crate and it's like an avocado. It's like a handful of quinoa and like a Spanish onion and like a whatever microgreens. And then they have to make something out of it, right? And it's like you you only have what's in the mystery box to make, to make the meal, right? And so that's kind of like setting up that kind of challenge where it's like, of, of course, like I, of course, like I seeded the, I seeded the, the box with all stuff that I like, right? But there's hundreds of possibilities and I'm getting like 12 at a time. Um, and depending on what 12 show up, the challenge for that, for whatever day that is, is like, okay, can I make something out of these 12? You know what I mean? Um, and that song was one of the ones that sort of came from one of those like random days where it's like, um, where I just hit a button, I'm stuck with, what I got and then I try to figure out a way to make them work and then you know the rest of the song is sort of built around that and you know there I think I play guitar and other instruments on it but like the seed of that is really just like this puzzle this like kind of like game that I set up for it's a force limitation kind of yeah like it and it's just a way of setting up a scenario that will be fun and interesting for me to hang out in for for that day, you know what I mean? And if I'm lucky, it turns into something, it turns into something um, bigger and longer that kind of can be shared out or that, that other people might be interested or, you know, if not, which is the majority of the time, it just turns into nothing. Right, so how do you, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Like accepting that, as you said, maybe 95% of what <laughs> one spends one time doing is not yeah. going to go anywhere. Like that's, you know, that's a bit of a, I, that's a challenge. Yeah. I, 
to me that I guess if the process was I think those are good odds by the yeah, way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like if you're lucky. I think that to me it's about making the process interesting and enjoyable, about making it so that even if there's no there's nothing pro like productive that comes out of that day, that's that day is still is still um was still worthwhile because you whatever, you explored this thing or you tried this idea or whatever, right? Like and and so I think for me, I really, if I, if I really thought, put pressure on myself to be like, I have to write a record now, like it's record writing time, I don't think I would be able to do it. Like it's just huh. not, I don't, I don't even know that I necessarily like consider myself a musician. Like I just consider myself someone who plays with. Well, you must be because you're on a podcast <laughs> with, with composers and musicians. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can decide whether that is. That makes sense. So, that so the experimentation is what. Yeah, like is, I think the it's exciting about, part. Yeah, to me, it's about setting up like, setting up a creative game or puzzle, um, and then, and then playing. You know, having that be the basis for, um, um, a day of doing stuff. You know what I mean? Just like you might. I mean, just like you might in a practice where somebody brings in something, right? Like I have this fray, I have this baseline, let's see what we can do. And then for the next three hours, you know, you're sort of yeah, you're working a room it. full of people are bashing their head around this, this idea. And like, if you're lucky, it all clicks and something happens and right. And it's, or if not, you got to wait till next Saturday. Yeah, And if not, you still had a great time hanging with your butts and you know what I mean? And I think that that's, that's how I, for better or worse, that's how I learned to like, like write music, like like write music, and that's the only real way I know how to do it that makes sense to me. Has it has it changed over time? Like, do you do you feel that you're gradually refining a, a system, or is it the same? Um, I or is the system just the idea of making puzzles? Yeah, I I I mean, you know, I think that I introduce different elements like. Like I said, like having other people involved at different points in the process is definitely um, something new. Like when I first, like my first three, probably my first three records um, were literally just me and a computer, right? And then at a certain point, um, other people became involved and that is a huge thing, obviously, right? Especially for like, I feel like I'm just like a sponge, like I just like being around other people. I like being around people that are excited about what they're doing, about ideas, you know what I mean? I like people that, I find that process, that's kind of why I, a big part of why I do it, you know, is to be around people that are excited about what they're doing and have ideas that I've never heard of that can sort of like, um, that's, that's, that's how I learn stuff. Um, so definitely having other people involved is, is a way that it has um, changed over time. And then obviously, like, the visual stuff, which I've been talking a lot about, is, and the reason I talk a lot about it now is just because it's new to me now. Like, it's, sure. it's a thing that, um, for the last record, I just had this, I had this theory, like, that this idea of, like, writing the music and the visuals together would make sense and then we put together this live show that we could sort of like um, go on tour with and like have people connect with what we're doing. 
Um, and that was really just an idea that I thought was, could be a cool thing. Um, and when we went and did it, it, it turned out really great, right? Like it sort of like it, it did do all those things that I had hoped that it would in the sense of like taking this kind of like abstract music that doesn't have like a super big physical visual element on stage and open it up to people to kind of like invite them in to it a bit, you know? Yeah, it definitely and, felt that way seeing it, seeing uh, it live. Yeah, so I think I'm just like, I'm excited by that idea now, and and I'm sort of spending that to that the tour we did in Japan in the summer was like that sort of showed me that this is worth spending time on. Whereas before it really was um, the visual side was kind of like this thing that I, you know, a month before we were gonna play our first show, I would start throwing together visuals, you know what I mean? Just like I'm sure a lot of bands, yeah, you're working on the music and not really thinking about like what's gonna be projected on us or what's gonna be projected behind us while we play this show. Like you're, you're just thinking about like, are we gonna play the right notes and like are we gonna right. know how the song goes and all that, right? Um, and this was the first time that I, I feel like I gave a lot of attention to that, mm -hmm. to that aspect and, and bringing that into the process and, and now I feel like um, that's an exciting kind of like direction sure. to, to sort of take now. Yeah. Well, to wind it down a bit, just in terms of direction, um, is there, this is a question I'd like to end with, mm -hmm. um, is there something that, a vision you have that you would like to be able to do that you haven't been able to do yet for either technological or economic reasons, like what, Given uh, unlimited resources, or uh, what, 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 what kind of thing can you imagine doing? Well, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think it's what I'm working towards now, which is that what I would like to be. So, you can imagine that when you're working with like a program that you sort of wrote yourself, that is kind of like this cobbled together thing. Like every time you want to change something, it takes a long time, um, and there. Are, there tends to be like a point where I'm like, I have this idea of something I want to happen, but I have to spend like two weeks writing code to, to, to make it right. happen. You know even, I mean? even see if to, it, yeah, to even see if it was a good idea, right? you know? And, and so to me, the sort of like vision I have in my head of like where this eventually goes is that the program works at the same speed um, that a band practice works. So like, as we're rehearsing in real time, I can be ma manipulating the software in, at the speed of a practice. Like, and I don't know if that, I mean, I think that you probably understand what that means. It's sort of like ideas are happening at a certain pace. And if sure. you can't just tell everyone, like, can we just pause for five minutes while I like, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like it just, there's a certain, there's a certain kind of like, um, human pace that or whatever right like that that in a, in a in a in a in a band situation where you're rehearsing um that i to me like my goal is to get this audio visual system to the point where like it behaves in real time as an instrument in a situation it with sounds other... a little bit like ai that well it's am i gonna lose my job <laughs> <laughs> no it would be still it would still be i guess the idea would be like it's an instrument that you can play as fast as sure. a musical instrument, right? 
So like right. you have an idea. If you can play a keyboard, you can translate that idea depending on how much time you spent playing the instrument. Like ideally you can do it in before the next bar happens so that now you can start interacting with what's going sure. on. Right. And you can't, if you have a program that you need to then sit for, even if it's 60 seconds and make yeah, changes to that flow. Exactly. Yeah. You can't do that in like song time or like musical time or something. Right. In order for it to be like really like an instrument, I feel like it has to work in musical time. So like you have to be able to have an idea, make a decision and make the decision happen in the four beats before it happens again or whatever, right? Like when, or whatever, right? Like whatever sure. is happening. So to me, like that's kind of like in my mind, that's where I'm trying to get towards where like, so now I rehearse with, a band that I've been playing with for a while, they obviously understand that there's all this technical stuff going on. They're very, obviously very understanding when stuff breaks or, you know, <laughs> I need to fix something. But like, what I would love is to be able to bring it into like a room of musicians that I don't know, right? That that don't have anything invested in this weird <laughs> thing that I've got mm. going on. And can it behave? No, I hear you. It's like you're right? wanting to make the whatever's generating the visual behave like a, like a sonic instrument. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and behave, behave, yeah, like be responsive in that same way or be expressive in that same way mm. so that um, it becomes part of the musical process as mm. opposed to like your sort of mode switching between am I thinking about music or am I thinking about this thing? Sounds hard. It's a hard problem. Yeah, it's a hard problem. And but I hope you get there. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that to me that that goal is maybe is purposely it's a purposely hard goal so that even if I only get halfway, it'll I'll, I'll still have made progress that I'm happy with. I think it sounds great. Yeah. Well, I I look forward to seeing it and hearing it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Shine, thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the podcast. So I'm happy to all right real, finally get to do it. Real treat that you were here and. Uh, We'll get it out soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's the show, friends. I hope you liked it. You can find out more about Shahan and listen to his music on his website, robotandproud.com, and on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Links to these are in the show notes, but he's all over the interweb, so you shouldn't have any trouble finding him. If you like the show, please subscribe to get my very occasional episodes and maybe rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you can spare the time. Also, if you could tell all your friends to have a listen, I would appreciate that too. I'm not on any other social media, so I'm counting on you modern people out there to spread the word. As usual, we'll let my guests play us out. Here's a piece called The Electricity in Your House Wants to Sing from Iron Robot and Proud's 2006 album of the same name. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>